know what happened. They tripped it off. So, But hey, we're here, power's back on. You've came to hear a message from Jesus tonight. I'm so glad you're here with us tonight. As Jacob said, my name is Jamie, and I do have the great privilege of being a pastor on team here at Desert Life. And if this is your first time, or maybe it's your first time in a long time, I, I really am truly glad you are here with us tonight. I pray that, you know, as you hear me speak, you more hear Jesus speak to you. You know, after the service, we do have a cafe available where we'd like you to stick around and uh, get to know some other people, have a nice cup of tea or coffee or cappuccino or a toasted sandwich or whatever other goodies Fiona's making for us tonight. If you're listening on the podcast, I just want to give a shout out to you guys. Really appreciate you listening in. You know, each week we record our messages here at Desert Life, and we do that because we believe God has a message for us. We believe in doing life together. This message of life, this message of hope that God breathes and speaks over us is applicable to each one of us. You know, the church is not a building. The church is you. We heard a story about Jacob sharing before about being able to reach out to the community, and I pray that, you know, over these next weeks, months, we just continue to hear and see more and more stories come in. I love hearing about stories. I love hearing where God grabs a hold of someone's life and he transforms it. He breathes his life into you, and then he sends us out. I want to share a few thoughts sort of down that pathway with you tonight. And I want to get a bit back to basics tonight. You know, I just want to share this thought with you, letting Jesus take over and take everything. Letting Jesus take over and take everything. And I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're going to look at three passages. We're going to look at three portraits in Scripture. And we're going to apply these principles. We'll recapture what is being said there and apply it to our lives. We're going to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And before we do that, I just want to pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you are love. You are life. God, I thank you that you are grace. And Father, I just thank you for each person that is here tonight. I thank you for the gifts, the talents that you place within each one of us, the calling upon us. God, I pray for freedom to take place in your house tonight. I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. I pray for dreams to be reignited. I pray for that desire that once burned so brightly to just reignite and to run the race that you have set before us. Father, I pray for salvation in your house. Most of all, God, I pray you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I said before, we are looking at Luke chapter 15. You know, the Bible, it's comprised of 66 books compiled into one big book. And we have this book, Luke, written by Luke. And he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He, he was an educated man. He, he was a physician. He was someone who gave up his practice. He gave up his livelihood to follow Jesus. I mean, talk about dedication there. And he, he recounts this story in Luke 15 brilliantly. Some of you, you may know of this passage as the prodigal son. And the word prodigal, it means wasteful. And Jesus, he's trying to explain why he hangs out with those who are different. 
He's in a period where he hangs out with those who, you could say, maybe thugs, <laughs> those who are sinners, those who are a little bit different. You know, they're the people that Jesus wants you and I to reach out to. And he tells this story about a day with a dad, sorry, with two sons. You have the younger son, and this younger son, he's adventurous. He's a bit like Pastor Ben. He's passionate. He's pumped about life, like Pastor Ben. He feels like he knows best. I'm not saying anyone. (laughs) Hey, I wasn't walking into that. But this younger son, he, he wants his inheritance early. His father was wealthy and, you know, he wanted his inheritance early and he was going to pack up and leave and move to the city of Melbourne and live under the bright lights. Yeah, you're good tonight, you're vocal. I love, I love the feedback, keep it going. You may know this story, you know, he, he gets his inheritance and what happens? Jesus, he tells us that he lives wildly, he lives wastefully. But after a period of time, he, he depletes his inheritance and he's in a strange city, He's in a strange land, he's looking for work and the only job he can find is with a farmer feeding pigs. Pretty low. The times, the economic times, they were terrible, they were going through a GFC and in this man's fine print to his contract, there's this writing which says, it states that he's not allowed to eat the pig's food. I mean, that's how bad it had gotten. And there was a period where he stops and he's there with the pigs <coughs> and he's looking at the pig slop and he thinks, well, you know what, it can't be all that bad, I'll just take a quick bite. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty desperate. Verse 17, we read, and Jesus says, when he had finally come to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants had, enough, or had food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. You see, instantly he concluded that you know, I'm, I'm no longer worthy of being a son. I'm going to go home and I just want to try and be an employee. I just want to work for my father as an employee and not take up that position of being a son. And on his way home, we read a bit further on that he prepares this speech. I could imagine what he would have been thinking about in that time. He prepares this speech and as he's approaching to prepare this speech, it's not necessarily a good one. But, you know, here's a thought I have for you is this son, which I think you and I can apply to our lives at times, which is not necessarily the best attitude, but he thought he he was a son by worth, not by birth. You see, when we invite Jesus into our lives, you and I are sons and daughters not by worth. We are sons and daughters by birth. It's how sonship works. You look at a zebra. A zebra cannot lose its stripes. It can't change its stripes. When you're born into the kingdom of God, it's not about worth. It's about birth. You know, the account, it goes on to tell us that he'd been traveling for quite a while. And as he approached the family farm his dad sees him and his dad starts running out to the boy he starts trying to he runs out to his son and he's in this position where his dad's coming the chariots of fire music's playing it's happening and he starts to get the first part of his speech out and his father he cuts him off the father he calls for the new jewelry he calls for the 
clothes, he calls for the shoes, he calls for the whole thing, and he then goes on to say, kill the prized cow, we are going to have a party tonight. My son's come back. I just want to pause that thought for a moment because you see the story then goes on to tell us as the camera pans away from the son and the father to the older son. He's there, he's working in the field and he's doing really what any noble hard worker would do. And it says that he he came near after this exchange had taken place and he could hear the music, he could hear the dancing but yet he didn't want to come in. You know, I think one of the greatest hindrances that can affect you and I in coming to God, like when we see a child run to a father (laughs) or a child running to Santa with that list at Christmas time to tell him what they want for Christmas, is shame. Shame. Shame can affect you, it can rob you and I of coming to God. Our God's a God of love, our God is good. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. God is mercy. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. There's a few thoughts I want to leave you tonight and God's attributes are who God is. So when God says to you, I love you, he loves you. God is good. You know, we can have this mentality that I can't come to God because I've done wrong. I love this boy, the prodigal son. He's returning to his father's house and the reality is he's quite smart. He returns to his family's house. He's embarrassed his family. He lost his his inheritance. (laughs) He loses his inheritance and he, he realizes it's illogical to keep living the way he was. So he knew, I have to go back. I've got to go home to dad. He was thinking, I'm no longer going to be what I was before based on what I've done. I'm not going back just to be a son. I just want to go back to be with my dad. I think at times it can sound pretty familiar to how a lot of you and I, how we function and how we process and even think in these modern times. You know, he's a a reasonable young man who comes back not expecting everything not to be as it was. Because the reality was, it wasn't as it was. He lost that inheritance. He went away, he did his thing. He ashamed the entire family. He spent all that his father's... He he spent his inheritance. The hard work, the inheritance that his father had worked hard for. He took it early and he blew it. He knows it. He expects to come back. But what we see unfold in reality, when you think about it, is nothing short of scandalous. You see, scandalous... This son, he's trying to get this poor speech out as he's running out to his dad, but yet his dad closes him down. I really think in this picture, Jesus is trying to give you and I a window into how God loves humanity, into how God loves us. You see, we can mess up time and time again, but God is love. God is grace. And when you come to him, when you run to him, he stands there before you with arms wide open open. Don't ever allow shame to hold you back from pressing into God and everything he has for you. I love what the dad does. First thing he realizes that he smells. It's a bit like being out the back with Infusion Youth on a Friday night. (laughs) 
But he says, take him away, let's clean him up, let's get the new clothes, let's get that Armani suit out, let's get the Italian leather shoes on him, let's get the Rolex watch out, let's get that fine jewellery out, let's put it on my son, my son is home. He says, let's kill the fatted calf, we're going to party, and we're not going to party like it's any party, but you and I, we're going to party like it's 1969, it was actually a lot earlier before then. But you know, I, I was reading this this past week and I thought, man, did I miss something? I can understand the position from the oldest son because they're going to have a party. They're celebrating like when a soldier goes out to battle and he comes back victorious. And we're celebrating this guy who took off, he messed up. He doesn't deserve a celebration, he deserves a clip across the ear. You know, when I looked at this passage earlier on, I counted the verses from the encounter of the confession where he messed up to where the party scene took place and there were only three verses between. Three verses. Three verses from the beginning of his speech to when he hit that dance floor and that celebration began. Pretty amazing. You know, it may be so simple when we say we want to be known by God or I want to come to Jesus. But yet it becomes so complicated when we begin to consider our ridiculous actions, our desires, the things we do in secret until we eventually, our, our disposition it mirrors that of the prodigal son. You know, when we, we are like God, I... I <coughs> sorry... <laughs> You know, I love it when we can come to God and realize, you know what, I've been, I've made mistakes. I've done something that's wrong. But God just accepts me as I am. You know, I, I love the fact that our God, He doesn't think how we think. Our God doesn't process thoughts how you and I process thoughts. I'm so glad he doesn't because I tell you what, I wouldn't want the results of sometimes the thoughts and the things I think of and speak out of at times. He sees the end, he knows the end result. When God's in control, can I encourage you just to surrender and allow him to have his way and you and I just be obedient. Jesus, he, he tells a story that is absolutely illogical, it's scandalous and we see the dad running out to the son and he gets out there and he just parties. My son is home. My son is back. It's a beautiful scene. When we look at it in the natural, he should have got what was coming to him. But you know, when you look at it and you break it down, was it hour one, hour two, hour three between the exchange and the celebration? No, it took place on the same day, on the same night. He comes home looking and smelling like sin and he gets showered he gets changed jewelry gets put on him and before you know it they're out there in the barn you know you may be here tonight and you may be going through a fire but i tell you what when you come through that fire and god delivers you through and he stands there victoriously with you you may have been through a fire but you won't smell like you've been through a fire you won't look like you've been in a fire my God is good. Our God is good. 
He does good. He is good. He is faithful. You know, I reflect back to the oldest son and his perspective. You know, I can look at it and I can think, well, really, in a logical perspective, he was the only logical one in this scenario. But God, he wants everybody to come to Jesus. Even when we mess up spectacularly. You know, when we think we can't go to Jesus because we have shame or guilt or condemnation, can I encourage you to press through those thoughts and just come to God as you are? When we look at the Word, God, He simply says, come. There's no conditions. He just wants you to come. Will you come? Irrespective of the week you've had, the challenges you've faced, the things people have said against you, maybe even the beliefs, the thoughts you have of yourself, will you still come to God? My God, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Can I encourage you, even when you are facing those difficult times, just get on that dance floor with God and just dance. Don't be like me, because I tend to dance a bit like Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil. (laughs) I did a wedding last Saturday night, and... uh, It was interesting watching the ladies up there dancing and I just said, you girls go for it, Fee, you go and head off. My spot's right here. (laughs) But you see, what's interesting is where was the restoration? Where were the fruits of uh, repentance in, in this story? I mean, does this guy really mean repentance when he comes forth? Is he genuine about this? But you know, the father, he was just like, just hit that music. Just play that music. You know, can I encourage us in life? Let's never be that older son where we stand on the edge of the dance floor and we just look at people and we know their story and we judge them. Let's never allow that to creep into our mentality. Let's never allow that to creep into our church. Let's never have a mentality where we think we are better than others. You may know other people's shame. We may know other people's sin. But the God who came for them came for you and he came for the person to your left, to your right, in front and behind you and even to the people down in the Todd Tavern. He came for us all. Don't stop moving. Let's be people who bring others to Jesus. Let's not stand on that sideline judging I love the fact that there's there's one reason that this kid can dance. There's one reason that this son can get on the dance floor in front of all the fathers, his workers, all the people who knew his story, all the people who knew that he was eating pig slop. The reason he got on that dance floor was because of Jesus. It's the same for you and I. I. I just wonder if there's anyone here tonight and you stopped dancing a long time ago. You thought the only reason you could dance was because you were living a life that was danceable. See, the greatest challenge when coming to Jesus is dance when the only thing to dance about is that he still loves you in spite of what we have done. Let's be people who get on the dance floor with Jesus. Let's not be people who stand around the outside. God, he stands there, his arms are stretched wide. And he's calling you and I, he's saying, come. You know, the second 
picture I want us just to take a few moments looking at is this guy named Peter. (laughs) He's another one of the 12 disciples, the 12 apprentices of Jesus. And poor Peter, he cops a bit of a rap in the Bible for putting his foot in it at times and doing things. But we read in Matthew chapter 14 where there's this amazing story where Peter, he walks on the water. <coughs> it's, it's a great account. You know, they, they recognize that Jesus is he's on the water, he's walking towards them. And, you know, if we've heard this story, I'm sure most of us have, we, we know the rest. Peter's there and he says, Jesus, if that's you, command me to come out. And Jesus was like, come on, come. You see, we had the dance floor over here. Over here, we now have the water where we step out in faith for God. Peter, he steps out of the boat on the water. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but he was one of the first few humans (laughs) to walk on water. Pretty extraordinary thing when you think about it. He starts walking, and we know the story. (coughs) A pretty important principle takes place. He takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. You know, when we take our eyes off Jesus, our circumstances around us will eventually begin to consume us. But you see, if we trust in Jesus as Savior, he'll lift us up where we've never been before. What's that dream that you've been hanging on to? What may be that dream that you've let go because you just think it's too far out there? Can I encourage you tonight to keep your eyes on Jesus? Don't ever give up on what God has birthed in you. Because if God has spoke it, it will come to completion. It may not be our time, but it will be in the best time. Peter, he immediately starts sinking. He calls out to Jesus. Jesus reaches out to him. He pulls him back in the boat and the the exchange takes place. You know, why did you doubt you know that's not the portion of scripture that really gets me thinking when i was looking at this this week the bit that really got me thinking was in matthew 14 29 it says so peter went over the side of the boat he walked on the water toward jesus but when he saw the strong wind and the waves he was terrified and he began to sink save me lord he shouted jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I mean, let's just pause for a moment. The bit that really got me thinking was this guy, he just walked on water. They went back to the boat. And I was thinking, why didn't some of the disciples get around him and say, hey, man, look, you were one of the first few people to walk on water. Or better still, hey, Peter, are you cold? Do you want a towel? Is there something we could do to help keep you warm? But no, no. Peter, he, he stepped down to a real low. He literally sunk. <laughs> he nearly drowned, but the detention, it wasn't on Peter to dry him off. I think we just need to take a moment, take a time out. and That's not what it says. Verse 33, this is a part I want you to catch. It says, Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. They worshipped him. Peter, he almost died but yet the focus didn't go there the focus went straight to jesus jesus saved him and you know what he's good at that he can save you he can save me regardless of your circumstances jesus saves 
But the problem I think can come is that when you and I, when we only come to Jesus when we're dry, when we think we've got it all right, when we think things are in order. But you know, when we get submerged into stuff, when we are soaked with water, when we falter, don't let that be an opportunity to bail when it comes to coming to Jesus. I just wonder, are you here tonight and are you soaked? You know, there's times in life where we as believers, we have to worship Jesus when we're wet. We've got to worship Jesus when times are tough. We have to worship Jesus when there's things going on around us that we can't necessarily control. Jesus, he he wants us to raise him up and stop letting people affect us and hold us back. You know, one of the other challenges I think we can face is similar to that of standing around the dance floor is when we see people who are wet not come to God. You know, one thing I I found is that we see someone who lived away from God most of their life and then they come to Christ and we get around them and we support them and we embrace them with open arms. But what about when you've been dry a few times, when you've walked with God, but the reality is we're now wet? We're sinking. We have this attitude of, well, you know what? They should have known better. They've been a Christian for 20 years. They've messed up. They should have known better. Can we never allow this stinking thinking, this stinking mentality to come in? I'll tell you what, it'll rob you and it'll rob them. God wants us all to come to Him. Let's don't ever have that attitude here. God, He wants us to come as we are. You know, what's amazing about this story is Peter, he gets back in the boat, all the attention went straight to Jesus. And the thing I love about this is, is he literally got back in the boat and since they did go straight to Jesus, we're going to find times in our life where things are going to be difficult, where we're going to get wet, we're going to mess up and we can't allow ourselves to dry off. We just need to get on our knees, get before our Saviour and worship Him. Peter, he knew how to worship Jesus wet. I hope you're here in my heart today. But can we be people who come to Jesus wet? Let's come to Jesus dry, but let's just come to Jesus full stop. You know, the third picture I just want to quickly look at is, the team could come up, it would be great. It's great when Glenda comes on keys. It sounds extra spiritual and you watch, it'll happen. (laughs) But in John 21... Peter, once again, we see a story of him and he denies Jesus. He's in a sad, he's in a sorry state, he's discouraged. Peter, he's disappointed by the fact of his denial of Jesus. And he didn't just deny him once, but he did it twice. He did it three times. He does what many of us do, and maybe not physically, but mentally, spiritually, or emotionally, Peter, he checked out. And he went back to the one thing he knew. He went back fishing. Think of what happens in the balance of John 21. Jesus, he's been resurrected. He's soon to ascend and take his place at the right hand of God for all eternity. It was one of the most critical points in all of human history to take place on the planet. And what does Peter, the coming apostle, do he goes fishing you know you 
Are we sitting here tonight and at critical times in our life, in our weakness, in our shortcomings, we've just simply wanted to escape, simply wanted to get out? You want to go and do that one thing that you know, and in Peter's case, it's fishing. Maybe for some of you, it could be a trade. It could be a former occupation or a former lifestyle you lived. I just wonder, have you ever been fishing while leading? You know, it may be your family, it may be our work, it may even be in our church situation. I love how this story, it it unravels, it's an indicative of the grace and mercy and the unconditional love of our God. You know, we read on, the Bible says that he was fishing. But you know, there's something that's scary that takes place, that when we go off and we separate ourselves from God, we can unfortunately get in this position where we take others with us. Peter, he says, I'm, I'm going fishing. I can't go to Jesus. The boys, they go with him. We later on read that Jesus comes and he calls out to them and he, he, says, he says to them, Children, have you any fish? I don't know if you've thought about that perspective, but these are fully grown men, former fishermen, and he uses the terminology children. It's a covenant term. It's a relationship term. It means I'm still involved. We're still in this together. I know that you are condemned. I know that you have shamed yourself. I know that there's shame on you, but the reality is, Peter, you are still mine. He says, children, have you any fish? Come on, let's not be people who check out because we feel ashamed or we feel inadequate. Let's be people who are connected, committed to the source. You know, we have to know who we are and who we are is found, is discovered by the sheer grace of God. Jesus, he says to us, have you any fish? I love how the story unfolds from there. They replied, no, and Jesus tells them to cast their net onto the other side of the boat. They instantly catch fish. Peter, in that position, he gets out of the boat and he swims to the shore. He swims to Jesus, and when he gets to the shore, he's cooking breakfast. Uh, It's in this moment where we see, I think, one of the most appropriate things take place. It's a moment where, I don't know about you, but if I had played this out my way, I'd be thinking about fasting, praying, getting on my knees, repenting, asking for forgiveness, seeking God. But we look and we see grace on display. But in this moment, Jesus, he fixes them breakfast. You know, God's want for you is never dictated by actions or your pedigree or your performance or by your resume. God's just looking for people who are ready, who are willing, who are available, who are prepared to put their hand up and just say, yes. I love that while they ate the food, he he cooked for them. Jesus, he's sending out this message to them. And he says, Peter, I love you. God wants to be your friend. I just wonder if you're sitting here tonight, are you ashamed like that of the prodigal son? Are you hooked by your own lack or circumstances like Peter was? Are you sitting here tonight and you've checked out from that calling God's placed on you and you've gone fishing? I'll tell you what, I've got great news for you is that God, he will come to you every single time. 
He wants you. He loves you. He is for you. You know, I dare say that there's not one single person in this room tonight that couldn't relate to any one of those stories. I just wonder if we could all just stand in this moment while we're all here together. I just wonder if you feel comfortable. We're just going to worship for a bit. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. And the reason we raise our hands is that of an act of surrender, where we surrender our lives to God. I'm believing for ministry to take place in this moment, my friend. I'm believing for God to minister to you, to help you through the challenges you are faced with in this current time. I'm believing and I'm praying for God to speak and breathe life into you, for dreams to be reignited, for passion to be refueled, for miracles to take place. I'm believing with you for loved ones who don't know Christ to come to know Him. I'm believing for God to have His way. Johnny's going to lead us in a song, and I want to encourage you just to cry out to God, to sing along with Him, or make your own song to God. But make this a moment between you and God. Let's not leave here tonight not encountering the living God, the God who is here, the God who stands there before you and says, I am here, my son. I am here, my daughter. Come.
Father, you are perfect in all of your ways. God, we acknowledge that your word says we are created in your image. Father, I just thank you for each person that's here tonight. I thank you that your spirit is here. You're ministering to each one of us. Lord, we hear, we receive your word. I thank you for lives being changed, for dreams being reignited for healing taking place. God, we choose to keep our eyes fixed on you and not the circumstances surrounding us. Father, you are good. You know, just while we're in this attitude of worship, I'd appreciate it if we could keep our eyes closed. And I just want to ask and pray for another particular group of people. And you may be here tonight. And you may never have made a decision to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior. I believe the Father's here tonight and he's standing with his arms stretched wide and he's simply saying, come. I just wonder if there's anyone here tonight that wants to step across that line and say, I am making a decision to put Jesus first in my life. You're coming to God as you are not trying to fix you up, but you're coming as you are because my God, he accepts us warts and all as we are. Is there anyone here tonight that is prepared to make a decision to put Jesus first in their life? I just ask if you could just raise your hand. I'm the only one looking around just so I know who I am praying for. Awesome. Can I encourage you? Never miss an encounter with a living God. Father, I just pray for each pe- person that uh, people that have their hands raised tonight. God, I pray that you forgive us for the sin, the separation between us and you. Lord, I thank you that you bridge that gap. You restore us. And I just want to speak your restoration into the people who have their hands raised tonight. I just pray, Father, for forgiveness for the things we've done wrong. And I just speak your life, your love, your hope, your grace into them. God, help us to get a greater understanding of who you are. Give us a hunger for your word. Pray you place men and women around us to encourage us, to hold our hands high. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I love what I really believe that the Bible says that God, he intercedes for you and I. Can I encourage you, never do life alone. God is real. He's intimate. He's personal. Can I encourage you this week, this weekend? Why don't you just open your Bible up? Ask God to help apply His Word into your life. Get around other people, other Christians, and encourage them to read the Word with you. (laughs) Now, we're a church who believes in doing life together. God didn't create us to do life isolated. He wanted us to do life together. Awesome. 
Hey, we're going to have... Uh, why don't you stick around? We're going to have cafe time. And for you, those ladies who put their hand up, I just want to come and have a chat with you after the service because I just want to help you on living the life God destines each one of us to live. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for coming out tonight. Cafe is open. Have a great weekend. If you have to rush off, look forward to seeing you on Sunday morning in our 8.30 a.m. service or our 10.30 a.m. service. Have a great weekend. We love you guys.